0: Welcome to the Antioch Dallas Sermon Podcast. We are continuing our series called Saturate, where we are learning what it looks like to become authentic disciples of Jesus.
1: From the launch of our church, we have had a vision to join in with Jesus's work of saturating Dallas with the goodness of the gospel. But why is this so important? When the gospel saturates a city, spiritual renewal happens. People become more generous and empathetic. Families flourish. Vibrant communities are built, race relations are more healthy, works of mercy and compassion for the poor are invigorated, schools are strengthened, healthcare becomes more holistic and healing, and businesses are more creative and humane. When the gospel saturates a city, God is known and cherished, and people flourish. And this is where you come into the story. As a church family, we want to renew our commitment to this vision and the values that undergird it. You have a meaningful part to play as we join with Jesus in saturating Dallas with the goodness of the gospel. Today's Old Testament reading is from Joshua 24. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Today's New Testament reading is from Hebrews 10. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Today's gospel reading is from Matthew 16. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it.
0: We are going through a time of really looking at what does it mean to be an authentic follower of Jesus? What are the passions, the callings? What does it mean to really, from a deep place, say, hey, i'm I'm, I'm a Christian more than just a name. Only, But where it really touches a deep place within us, we're looking at those values. And we've seen as we've studied these last several weeks, the first value for an authentic disciple of Jesus is that Jesus is our treasure. Simply put, he's not a means to some other end. He's not kind of a heavenly slot machine in the sky that we pull a lever and we get what we really want from him. But that he is an all glorious end in and of himself. That he is the bread of life that truly satisfies, he's the water that satiates our, our souls, that he's the joy of our song, right? We say Jesus didn't come primarily to give us bread or to give us bread, but to be our bread. Didn't come primarily to give us treasure, but to be our treasure. And foundational, ground zero to being a disciple of Jesus is an invitation to eat, to drink, to taste and see that the Lord is good and to really grow in knowing that and living from that place. From that place of knowing and enjoying Jesus, we see that his gospel, Jesus' gospel, heals When you read through the Gospels, you see that Jesus had a really deep and profound ministry of healing. Healing of the body, healing of the mind, healing of the soul, healing of the emotions, healing of relationships and families, cities, nations, healing the world. And as his followers, we're called to receive that healing, and we're called into a ministry of healing in the world around us. We've seen that in doing that, that we are better together that authentic discipleship is not just a private, personal thing, although it is very private, and it is very personal, but we're not Lone Ranger Christians, that we're brought together into a larger family, the family of God, and that working out our discipleship really is a group project. My secret hope for you is that as a part of this church that you would find five real and genuine friends, the type of friends that you can pray with when you need someone just to share what's going on and you can play with, that you can have kind of a whole life with, people you can walk with and we can work out our discipleship to Jesus together because we're better together. Now, the way that we're better together comes through transformation as well. We saw that one of the values that we want to live out is that save people, people who've been saved by Jesus, serve people. Right. So in our relationships, it's not a jockeying for a position and trying to kind of prove how great we are, but we realize that Jesus has saved us and has called us to be servants of one another and servants of our city. That found people find people, right? That as Jesus found us, that we're to be a part of seeing other people come to know him. So you could think of save people, serve people as good works, and you could think of found people, find people as good news. And we want to do both here in our city. This discipleship to Jesus changes the way we use our resources, that it's no longer about me and mine and kind of the me monster of me building whatever I feel like I need to build, but we realize that we've been blessed in order to be a blessing to others and that we look at our resources as an avenue with which we can bless others and be a part of what God is doing in our city. I think we would all agree that, man, if we were transformed in those values, if we cultivated and curated those values in our lives and in our relationships, we really would be transformed. We would be different people. And as we're transformed, that your workplace or your school or your neighborhood or your marriage or your kids or your family would be transformed alongside it. And that's the invitation that I want to give to you today. As we close, our final value, our culminating value really is an invitation that we won't take this for granted that we won't take this relationship with God that we've been given in the gospel that we want to take this invitation to be a part of a community like this to be a part of the local church for granted that we won't take the transformation that God wants to work in our lives and just say well you know maybe maybe it'll happen maybe it'll get there but we want to take these things with sincerity we want to realize the great honor that we've been given by Jesus to know Him, to be a part of His people, and to be a part of His purposes. So there's an invitation not to take the call of God on our lives for granted. And that's built on two foundational things. The rest of what we've looked at are more values. This is based on a commitment and an attitude. And I wanna to speak to you about both of those things today. I don't know about your experience with commitment, but I've made some really bad uh, choices at times in my life, commitments that I've regretted. I want to tell you about one. I graduated college in 2002. So for some of you, that makes me really old. For others of you, that makes me really young. But my uh, senior year, last couple years of college, I lived in a house with five other guys. And we had a lot of fun as we lived together. We were not the best at keeping our house clean. So some of the fun things that we would do, uh, we had, instead of a dining room table, we had a ping pong table. So instead of eating together, we would play ping pong over meals. We built double-decker couch uh, seating in our living room. So couch, loft, couch, so that we could invite more people over to watch movies. We had barbecue and cooked out before every football game. So you'd come to our house, there'd be a cookout, then you'd walk to the game. We'd watch our team get destroyed and we'd walk home. We had a lot of fun, but we weren't that great at cleaning One of my roommates uh, had a particular fondness for whole milk, which is intriguing to me in and of itself. And uh, he accidentally left about a half gallon of whole milk in our refrigerator for several months past the expiration date, right? It was probably two months past the expiration date before we noticed that it was expired. Uh, It had an expiration date of 9-11-2001, So that was kind of like ominous for us. We're like, oh, don't touch that milk. Like, it's like, I don't know. And so it sat in our refrigerator for several months before we kind of said, hey, I think this is a problem we need to deal with. One of my roommates, though, came up with a creative solution. He said, hey, what if we leave it there? And then as different ones of us graduate college, that when you graduate, you would have to drink some of that milk. (laughs) Seemed like a great idea at the time. I was eight months out from graduation. So surely this is never going to come back to, to haunt me, right? Well, the roommate who suggested it, he was graduating in December. So he only had to drink it when it was three months old. It was bad. We all watched it. We all thought about failing classes to try and extend our graduation date to somehow get out of it, right? I mean, it was chunky, smelly. You can imagine. So that was in December. Well, I was graduating in May. And as D-Day got closer, I realized uh, what was coming my way. I was hoping my roommates were going to forget this commitment. I I was going to try and like sneak the milk out and just happen to be thrown away so that I would not have to follow through on this commitment. But wouldn't you know, they held me to it. So graduation day, I'm celebrating getting a diploma, but then I have to drink that now eight-month expired whole milk. So that's what? 15 years ago, I imagine that it's still in my system. I mean, it was awful, right? It was terrible. That was a commitment I regretted. That was a commitment I was like, you know, I don't know that I should have gone in. It seemed good at the time, right? When we talk about commitment, you know, many of us have those type of experiences where you've made a commitment, and then when it comes time for the commitment to actually come to pass, you're like, why did I do this? That was a bad Choice, that was a bad commitment. So we can shy away from committing to other things. We can have a fear of commitment. In our particular generation, another thing that can keep us back from commitment are the abundance of options that we have. My wife and I, we lived in Africa for several years of our lives. And there, when you go to the grocery store, there were two, maybe three kinds of cereal. Wasn't hard to pick your cereal for the week when we moved back to the States and we went to, you know, Albertsons, Tom Thumb, H-E-B, Central Market, whatever, whatever it is where you're from, you walk in and there's a whole aisle of various cereals. So now instead of having three that you're just kind of like, oh, you know, pick this one. Now there's hundreds of options. And I remember just a feeling of being overwhelmed. And how can I commit to which box of cereal I would eat for the next five days when there are this many options, right? And so we can fear commitment because it's just like, gosh, there's so many careers. There's so many cars. There's so many cities in which I can live. There's so many relationships that I can be a part of. I I just get overwhelmed. I mean, think about this. If we had been born 150 years ago and it became time to select a spouse, right? You may know 12 or 15 people in the little town that you're from that are about your age, right, that you are choosing between. Like, well, there's about 12 of us here. 12 guys, 12 girls, I guess we're going to match up that way. You know, that would be about the extent of your options. But now, in 2017, good night, it's not 12 or 15. It's like 12 or 15 million when we start looking at the online dating apps and your selection is not just the, the three girls that live half a mile down the road from your family farm but it's everyone on this particular app or that app is overwhelming how do you make a choice how do you choose right let alone with technology uh, we're no longer comparing like oh well this girl is pretty cute Come, you know we've got 12 here i i like her right but we're comparing between millions and we're comparing pictures that are computer enhanced. So blemishes, birthmarks, wrinkles, faults, all of that stuff can be digitally enhanced through a filter, through a program, right? So now there's not just abundance of options, but there's a thought that perfection might be out there. So how could I lock in with this one option when the perfect one may be one click or one a Facebook friend, or one particular deal away. And so we just get stalled out and stuck in the area of commitment. At the same time, we realize that many of the best and most beautiful things in life only come through a commitment to go one direction for a long period of time, only come through a costly choosing. I told you last week, my wife and I will be married 15 years this May. So again, for some of you, you're like, wow, you're really old. And for some of you, oh, you're like on the first lap around the old marriage track there, buddy. That's okay. (laughs) But I realize here, almost entering year 15, that there are dynamics of our relationship with one another. Realizations about who we are and who we are together that would never have been possible in year one, in year three, in year five, in year seven, in year nine, even in year 12, that there's a depth of relationship that it, we're only now walking into 15 years of commitment to one another. Commitment through good times, commitment through bad times, commitment through exciting times, commitment through boring and mundane, everyday stuff of life, time, right? Relationships to get the best and most beautiful uh, experience within relationships comes through a deep commitment to one another. Another example of commitment leading to the best and most beautiful things in life comes in our work. I grew up, my father uh, is a professor and a historian. And when he was in college, uh, the big deal in the news was America's relationship with Russia. Sometimes history repeats itself. It's the big deal in the news now. But when he was a student, this was kind of what dominated the headlines. So he said, you know what? I think I want to pursue a career in Russian history. And so he began to study and he began to learn and he got a PhD in Russian history. And then he became a professor in Russian history. And I grew up watching my dad day in, day out, year in, year out, go to work, and work on his craft, work on this vocation that he was giving himself to day in, day out, decade in, decade out. Now he's in his mid-70s. So now he's been plowing at this for 50 years. And at the latter part of his career arc, he's looking back and he's like, man, I was deeply fulfilled in my profession. I was deeply fulfilled in my work. He's an expert now. He travels around and speaks at conferences and, and writes books and all sorts of things, but that didn't come through a two-month interest or through watching a YouTube video or a couple of YouTube videos and then moving on. It came through a deep commitment to a discipline or a craft that he wanted to pursue, right? In our careers, we're not gonna experience depth and expertise, Without Malcolm Gladwell's proverbial 10,000 hours takes commitment. In our relationship with Christ, there are places that we will not be able to go, goodness, that we will not be able to drink from apart from a commitment that spans many years. Apart from a commitment to Christ that expands through our lives, there's just goodness and beauty that we will not access. In the scriptures that we read uh, here at the beginning of our teaching time, we saw a scene in the book of Joshua where God had saved his people, brought them out of Egypt, set them free from slavery, and was bringing them into the land that he had destined for them, a destiny in God. And Joshua, as their leader, knew that for them to walk into all that God called them to, it was going to take a commitment on their part. And so he said to the people, choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And each family, each individual, each person had to make that choice of commitment. Those that said yes stepped into their destiny in God. Those that said, yeah, I don't know, right? They went a different direction. They didn't experience all that God had for them. In the book of Hebrews, we see in the New Testament a similar thing. These Christians are going through hard times. They're being persecuted for their faith. They're struggling. And the writer of Hebrews speaks to them, and he speaks to them about commitment. He says, I want you to hold fast to your confession. I want you to grab on and hold tight to this thing that you've believed. I want you to grab on and commit to one another. Don't stop meeting together. Don't neglect meeting together. But when it's hard rather than disengaging, I want you to lean in. Those that responded experienced a vibrant relationship with Christ that got them through hard times. Just a word. If you're here today and you're in a hard place, don't let go and don't pull back. Lean in. That's where somebody here today. When you look at the words of Jesus, Jesus speaking to his disciples, you read the gospels, and man, he just ministers freely. Like almost to the point of it's offensive, how many people he just blesses. Though they have no chance, no 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 desire to bless him in any way. 5,000 people here, let me give them food. Be blessed. All these sick people, let me heal you. You feel like he's kind of like wasting love cuz so many people just walk away. They got what they wanted. They got their miracle. They got their provision. They got their healing and they just go their own way. And Jesus seems to just love with open arms and a generosity that's stunning. And yet there's also an invitation and a calling to his people, not just to get a blessing here or there, but into a life of discipleship. Let's look at Matthew, uh, the Matthew passage to focus in on this today. Matthew 16, 24 through 25. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus is calling disciples. Jesus is inviting disciples. These followers, not just to kind of be hanging around the fringe, but to enter into a depth of relationship with him that would mark and transform their lives. They'd experience a vibrancy in their relationship with God. That would experience a, a bond in the community that God had called them into. That would experience being used by God for God's purposes in their generation that would not have been possible without commitment. I was talking with my daughter yesterday who's 9 and we were talking through some issues and we were talking about relationship with God. She was like, "Dad, it just doesn't seem to like, I don't know, work. It just I, and I was like, I was like, "Sparrow, you 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 have like you have such a limited viewpoint. Like I'm not talking about something that's going to change in a day. I'm talking about making space over years and years and years in your life is seeing real growth, right? Because we live in an instant generation, we can be discouraged when it seems like things are not moving as fast as we want them, and yet Jesus is inviting us into a discipleship that spans not just days and weeks, but months and years and decades. That's the invitation that were given. In each of these cases, when the people respond to the grace of God, when they respond with commitment, they experience renewal. They experience a vibrancy. They experience a blessing and a fruitfulness that was not possible apart from saying yes. And as we close this time of looking at the values of authentic disciples, I want to invite you into a time of commitment, of saying yes to Jesus, of saying yes to the people that God has called you to be in, saying yes to being a part of the local church, saying yes to the purposes of Jesus. And I remember for me, I was reflecting on this this week. I grew up in the South, and to grow up in the South means you kind of have a basic idea, at least what you think Christianity means, and that was totally me. My freshman year, though, I remember moving into the dorms, And, you know, you kind of decorate your room. I'm putting up these posters that I thought were so cool. And I had one particular musician that I really liked that I put his stuff up on the walls. I also got a flyer for a campus event, a barbecue that a Christian organization on campus was doing. First week of school, you get the fraternity parties, you get the sorority parties, you get every organization just throwing their kind of nets out there looking for people. So I was like, man, I'm going to go to this party at the Christian deal. I'm going to go over to this frat house. I'm going to do this. I was making my plans. And one of the guys who lived in my suite came in and said, hey, what are you doing? And I told him, and he said, wait, how in the world you've got this poster on your wall and you're going to a Christian event? That makes no sense. Like, what what are you? And I got offended. I'm an eight on the Enneagram. means challenger. I'm like, who are you to talk to me? About what I believe and what I do. You know, I rose up, but it shook me. It was the first time in my life where someone questioned. They said, wait, you say you believe one thing, and yet your life, I just don't understand. I don't understand you. I don't, I don't get you. It shook me. That led to a time of really powerful spiritual renewal in my life, where Jesus revealed himself in a powerful, powerful way. Follow my freshman year. Fast forward a year, sophomore year, I was getting involved with a church for the first time and I went to a small group and the small group leader uh, set me down and he actually read me uh, a passage just like this in Matthew. And he invited me, not just to kind of having been excited about Jesus as one of among many things that I had going on, but he said, hey, I wanna see you become a disciple of Jesus. I wanna see you commit to not just rah-rah Jesus and getting excited here or there, but to embrace a lifestyle and a commitment to being transformed, to being a disciple of Jesus. Now, where I'm from, there was this big debate of how do you quantify people that said, yeah, I'm a Christian, but you can't tell it at all by their lives. In fact, research has shown in America that, that statistically that there's no difference between Christians and non-Christians in the way that we live our lives. And my friends, we'd wrestle with how do you, how do you qualify that verse, what we see in the scriptures, this life of discipleship that's a very different life. It's a life that's marked by very different values, so much so that some have called it an upside-down kingdom. Right? And people would be like, they'd try and work it and they'd be like, well, Jesus is their Savior, but he's not their Lord. Is Jesus your Savior? Is Jesus your Lord? Like It's all this semantics when really what we saw was that there was a depth of Christianity, a depth of discipleship that God was inviting people into that so many missed out on. That so many kind of just stayed with a label. I check it on a, you know, when I go to school, what religion are you or a Facebook status But not really engaging in the life of being a disciple. Not really committing to saying, hey, I'm gonna let this go deeper than just kind of one inch coat of paint on my life that I put, you know, I go to an event or whatever, but I'm actually gonna let this shape me and mold me and make me. Well, when my small group leader asked me that, he invited me into being a disciple. And I was reflecting on that this week. That season in my life, that year and a half period, altered forever in the best ways possible, the course of my life. Didn't mean to make all my circumstances perfect. Uh, Life has been very challenging, but there was something going on on the inside of me being rearranged and reoriented and renewed. And I wanna give you that same invitation today. I wanna give you an invitation to be a disciple of Jesus today. For some of you, this may be the first time that anyone's ever pointed these things out. And you'd be like, man, I've never thought about it in that way. This is a great point of decision for you. It's a great invitation to consider. Some of you are like, man, Zach, I'm in. I've been a disciple. You know, this is what I wanna pursue. I wanna walk with God. I want these values. This is my church. These are my people. I wanna be by the purposes of God. In our generation, and I want to invite you into a time of renewal. Because what we see when we commit over time is that we need space and effort for renewal. Let me give you an example in my relationship with my wife, right? The longer we're married, the more we need to put into anniversaries, into vacations into marriage counseling, those type of things to stir up afresh and to renew our commitment to one another, right? Ask anyone who's been married longer than two weeks. It's so easy to take your spouse for granted. It's so easy to take your relationship for granted, to kind of put it on the back burner or put it on autopilot because something else just kind of pops up on your screen, so to speak. And if we do that, we miss out on what could be, right? In my dad's work world at the university, they gave him things like sabbaticals and tenure that were meant to be times of renewal and recommitment. And in the scriptures, what we see in the Old Testament is that God gave his people, he gave them feasts, festivals, offerings, sacrifices, all these different rhythms that were a part of their discipleship to him that led into times of renewal and recommitment. Because any relationship... Needs that. In the New Testament, Jesus gave his people communion. He said, Do this in remembrance of me. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. I want you to do this and to remember me. And it was a remembrance of the grace given to us in the gospel. And it was a recommitment of, Yes, I'm in again. And so I want to invite you, if you're like, Man, this is my home church. I'm in for all this stuff. This is a great opportunity for renewal. You'll see on the sheet in front or the, the seat in front of you, there's a piece of paper that you picked up. We gave them out last week, and I'm sure all of you took them home and meditated on them and brought them back today. I'm sure, but just in case you didn't, there's a there's a copy for you of these values that we've been walking through, this vision that God is calling us to. And I want to give you the opportunity today to say, hey, I'm in for being a disciple. I'm in for my relationship with Jesus. I'm in for walking with these people here in this local church. I'm in for the purposes of God in our city. This is what I want to prioritize in my life. And the way we're going to do that is we're going to take communion. We're going to have an opportunity to give ourselves first to the Lord as he's given himself to us, and then to respond by committing ourselves to one another. So what I want to just walk you through kind of how the next few minutes are going we're going to have the officiants at the four corners of the room with the bread and the cup. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you're invited to take communion and remember the grace that's been given to you and the invitation, the calling to be a disciple. And we'll invite you to come forward and to receive communion or go back depending on where you're sitting in the room. And then after you've done that, I want to ask you, as I asked last week, to prayerfully consider the commitment afresh to Jesus, to his people, and to his purposes. And if you're wanting to say, yes, I'm in, let's go for this, let's partner in this together. I wanna to give you an opportunity to sign that piece of paper and drop it at the welcome home desk in the lobby. There's a little basket there. You'll see a bunch of them from the first service to drop that in there. If you missed last week and you're here this week and you're like, wait, I need, I need a little bit of time, that's fine, we'll be doing this the next couple of weeks. all right? But just wanting to give space an opportunity for people to commit. And if you're like, you know what? That's not what I'm interested in. Praise God. You be where you are. You are free in this house to be where God has you. And I want to give you room to ask yourself those questions and to see where you're really at. But if you're like, man, this is what God has for me, I want to give you the opportunity as well to just say I'm in afresh. So I invite you to stand. Jesus, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy and your majesty. Thank you that you invite us into not just an inch level, deep religion that's just a label, Lord, but you invite us into a relationship that's transformational. You invite us to be disciples, Lord. And I pray for us, whether it's our first time, to kind of say, Jesus, I'm in as a disciple, or it's our hundredth time, Lord. God, I'm asking there would be a fresh sense of renewal for me and for my friends here in Jesus' name. That as we give ourselves to you, like you've given yourself to us, as we give ourselves to one another and to your purposes in our city, Lord, that we would experience the vibrant life that you've called us to, and that our city would flourish under your grace, God. In Jesus' name, amen. You can come forward and receive communion. Well, I hope that encouraged you. If this message spoke to you, if God's doing something in your life, I'd love for you to send us an email and let us know. You can do that by just hitting reply on any of the emails you get from us. Wait, what's that? You don't get emails from us. Oh man, why don't you go to our website and you can sign up for our community newsletter. Once a week, you'll get updates on what's going on, what God is doing in our midst, and we would love for you to be a part. Uh, if you've enjoyed this series of podcasts, love for you to go on iTunes and leave a review. It helps other people find out uh, about this stuff. Love you guys, and we'll see you next week.